Welcome to the Wrestling Inc. Podcast. I am Raj Geary, joined this Wednesday night by Alfred Kanawa. Alfred, how are you, man? Great. Great to be here. Great to be alongside you. We're going to have a lot of fun tonight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Matt Morgan at the last minute uh, was unable to join us here tonight. He will be back on Friday. Uh, Justin, it's the holiday season. The plans are going to be all out of whack. <laughs> so uh, Justin will be back next week. So I am filling in for him tonight, but it was a, a good night to be filling in. Uh, Alfred, what? Uh, now that it's you and me, we could probably take a little deeper dive into some of the news as well tonight. Sure, absolutely. I would love to. What do we got on deck? I know this not short for news in terms of the last couple of days. Yeah, the ratings. I mean, that's that's a huge story with the raw ratings. Uh, reports that Vince might uh, or the upper management uh, might have some some sort of uh, extreme reaction or some sort of you know uh, reaction for sure with how low the uh, raw ratings were this past Monday night. Impact also with a big drop. Uh, I mean, it, you kind of knew a drop was coming, uh, but it was a pretty substantial drop. So we will get into all of that, as well as Kenny Omega teaming with the Good Brothers at Impact's pay-per-view. Not much of it, not much as far as impact on AEW. Uh, The Good Brothers had teased it earlier, but, you know, really just outside of a couple mentions of Impact Wrestling uh, on commentary, really, really nothing going in that direction. Yeah, they must be saving it for something. But, uh, yeah, really very, very little emphasis on Impact Wrestling during the show. Yeah. Uh, Joey Adorjan is saying, our, our guys' sound is off. Uh, whose sound would you say, Joey? Let us know. If anyone else uh, uh, feels our sound is off, let us know. Um, so, yeah, uh, a good night of wrestling. We'll get to that first. Uh, what were your thoughts on tonight's shows? I thought they were okay. I mean, particularly NXT, there was nothing spectacular about it. I mean, I thought it was fine. It was kind of just there. AEW, I think, had a couple of highlights uh, that I really liked, uh, but it wasn't really an incredible show. And I believe there was a Sting promo that was advertised, and we didn't really get much of that. It was another segment where Sting showed up unannounced uh, during a segment and chased off the heels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sting just just kind of uh, appeared and, and didn't do much. Um one second, if you mind going ahead and talking, and I it looks like they're no. saying something might be wrong with my mic, but let me. Okay, absolutely. But I mean, AEW was, uh, I think it was a fine show. Again, I think AEW continues to, I don't want to say struggle, but they have had multiple opportunities when they've had Sting back, they've had Shaq back. It's like there's a lot of eyeballs on the product now, and I just really. Uh, was hoping for a little bit more, especially considering the fact that they're feuding with Impact Wrestling right now. Uh, you see the angle with Rich Swan last night. They ran a big angle with Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers attacking Rich Swan. Uh, so you were thinking, especially with the tease like Raj mentioned earlier, that maybe the Good Brothers would show up. Maybe they're going to do a big angle with Impact Wrestling. But it was just really to kind of get over this new act of Omega and Callis being very obnoxious, and uh, which I thought was pretty entertaining seeing them do live commentary. But uh, the Impact end of the deal, even though they have gotten a lot out of this, it doesn't really seem to be an equal pairing in terms of Kenny Omega and Impact. Right. And And... We will see how that goes. Uh, should we start off with AEW? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. And guys in the chat, if you let me know does if my sound uh, sounds better. All right. Now it's too hot. All right. <laughs> we'll get it fixed here, folks. It might be my, my Mac might be getting a little too old. So AEW tonight, we started off with Private Party and Matt Hardy versus the Dark Order with Alex Reynolds, John Silver, and the Hangman Adam Page. Um, 
good opener. Uh, you know, it will be interesting to see. I'm curious, John Silver, where he'll be in a year. I kind of feel like with fans, he'd be benefiting a lot more right now as far as uh, the crowd reaction. And we saw how that worked for Orange Cassidy. You know, he got he got a good good spot on pay-per-views. You know, main evented Dynamites. We'll see what, what happens with John uh, Silver once this pandemic dies down and we start seeing crowds. But a good match, I, I don't know about seeing Hangman Page in this role when he had been in such a hot team with Omega all year and it seemed like this was going to be his breakout year that he would probably be on top of the company, you know, by the end of the year. And he's in an angle with the Dark Order. Yeah, and I agree. In fact, in with uh, Hangman Adam Page, he was very, very hot, probably the hottest wrestler in national wrestling before the pandemic. Uh, and he's kind of been taken down a couple of pegs. They're obviously going with Kenny Omega as the big world champion. But having said that, I really do think this is actually a pretty good landing spot for Hangman Adam Page. My one problem is that it might be a little too much comedy uh, for my liking for Hangman Adam Page, but I really think that this is an angle that not only John Silver, who I think is just an undeniable superstar, I think the inclusion of Hangman Adam Page in the Dark Order, I think if there were live crowds, they would really be encouraging Hangman Adam Page to join that group. I just love how they came out in their purple bandanas this week. Their enthusiasm for Hangman Adam Page to join that group really kind of makes him come off as a star. And I do like seeing those three interact. They just don't want it to be too much comedy for Adam Page. But but I really don't have a problem with it from an entertainment standpoint. Yeah. Um, Matthew Pierce sending a four ninety nine super jet. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Matt. And um, also uh, saying he watched Impact the last two weeks. Is Impact better than Raw? That's a loaded question. I say no way because just not having fans right off the get-go for me makes a show pretty much unwatchable i know some wrestling fans can that's great for me personally it's just unwatchable with no fans i'll say uh it's definitely uh, harder to watch with no fans from a straight up wrestling standpoint uh just watching these two shows i did not enjoy raw there were times where i was in pain watching raw there was not a single time i was in pain watching impact or embarrassed or felt uncomfortable or anything like that for so if you want to go with the lesser of two evils from the standpoint, I'll go with Impact. But. Yeah, Raw. Yeah, I, I agree. Raw this past week I thought was pretty unwatchable, and it has been a lot lately. And, and we see this with WWE a lot in December. Um, you know, it was two years ago where famously Vince McMahon they did that famous, I believe, is a two point one four. They did two point one four million viewers yeah. on December the tenth, the week after Vince McMahon comes out with the McMahon family. They they vow to freshen things up and it's a new era for raw and they're going to listen to the fans and fresh faces and fresh matches. They advertised heavy machinery and EC3 coming in the main roster. And who else? There was uh, Johnny Gargano was advertising. That was uh, Alistair Black, uh, Nikki Cross, right? Cross. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, and then we saw how all that went. So I don't know. We'll, we'll get more to the ratings later, but, um, yeah, Raw, Raw always seems to get really stuck in the mud creatively before Rumble season because they don't want to do any big angles between Survivor Series and you know the, the Royal Rumble build. Wow. So it was it was it was tough to watch. Uh, so anyway, this match we saw um, Private, you know, Matt Hardy continuing his heel turn tease. Uh, it was back and forth at the end. Private Party, they hit Gin and Juice, um, and then Matt Hardy tagged in Private Party and got the win for his team, despite not doing anything to uh, lead to the pinfall. So 
you know, Matt Hardy slowly doing his heel turn. And Matt Hardy, you know, I personally think the broken character did not work with no fans. And probably just in general had probably run its course. And I think this this seems to have rejuvenated him a bit. I, I, I'm curious to see where this goes. Yeah, my favorite version of any Matt Hardy is when Matt Hardy is kind of latched onto an idea and he's working it out. Right. Uh, like you said, the broken thing, I think years ago, I think after the WB run, I, I didn't want to see it again because, you know, it just had better days. But now you see him on this new thing where he thinks he's invented everything. And he's just so good at acting like a classic heel who just steals a pinfall and over celebrates his teammates that he just screwed over kind of. So I like where this is going. I think he's one of those wrestling genius types with great ideas. And I hope that he's able to really connect to something with this heel character. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and Hardy, the, the one thing, he's playing like this veteran that, that thinks he knows everything. And uh, he just, you look at him and you would not guess that he's a veteran. He he's yeah. looks so young, you know, for, yeah. for his age and how long he's been in the business. I mean, Jeff, Jeff is the same way. Yeah, great but, teeth and everything. Yeah, so kudos to him. Uh, we had, I, I love this segment backstage with MJF talking about his accolades with the New York Times and De, uh, Dinner Debonair. And uh, Chris Jericho said how he couldn't have done it without him. MJF uh, says he takes issue with people on social media saying that he's better than Chris Jericho. <laughs> he tells Jericho, I see a mentor. I see the goat. I see my best friends. And he remarks that he could, he couldn't have done it without the rest of the inner circle. So, um, you know, MJF throwing the, the backhanded, kind of backhanded, you know, uh, praise there to, to Jericho. Yeah, and we're going to get into other parts of the show where people might have a problem with them ripping off something. But I don't have a problem of wrestling ripping off wrestling if it works because a lot of things are being redone. And this angle with the inner circle is essentially The Rock leaving the nation of domination or taking it over. They're doing the same type of – if you watch week after week, it was The Rock. Uh, giving these backhanded little compliments to Farouk until he started <laughs> interrupting him in promos. And then he just took over and was completely passive aggressive. So I really like uh, where they're going with MJF and Jericho in this inner circle angle. Uh, the Rock and Farouk stuff was so great because Farouk <laughs> was such a perfect uh, yeah. straight guy in that. Uh, Jody Shauna Jenkins uh, with the Super Chat saying, I actually enjoy a lot of talent on Impact, however. Josh Matthews is terrible. Wow. I, literally, I literally turned the volume off and the show isn't bad. I, I do hear a lot of complaints about the, the commentary on Impact. And we got another one right here. Jody, that's a shame uh, because Josh sucks, but Madison Rain is so good on commentary. So, Well, yeah, I was going to say, for a married couple on commentary, I think they're very, they don't pay too much attention. Maybe once in a while they'll hint toward the fact that they're married, but they don't beat you over the head with it. But I really do think they work well together. And I don't have a problem with Josh Matthews, but apparently he does have his detractors. I didn't like him in WWE, I'll say that. Yeah. Um, Tina Miller knowing that they were throwing shade and planting seeds. She loves it. Yeah, I thought so too with Matt Hardy and Private Party. I hope they do pay it off because you do ever see every now and then like they start to start a storyline and it just kind of fades away and doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we you know, with Miro and Kip Sabian with the best friends, they still haven't had a match yet. And now it looks like they're moving to Miro and Orange Cassidy. It just seems like you should have that match first before kind of transitioning to that new feud. Especially after running a couple big angles for it, and you don't right. see any payoff. I mean, his video game console was ruined. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they got to pay that off. Got it. I mean, that was that was personal. Yeah. Uh, we're in the Rhodes household. The door rings, and outside is a present. Cody opens the gift, and it's a pair of baby shoes with the note saying, "We're expecting a new baby." And Pharaoh also has on him baby security in training. So, <laughs> congratulations, Cody Rhodes and Brandy are pregnant. Uh, uh, 
John Moxley, Renee Paquette announcing a few weeks ago that they were expecting a big year for pregnancies. Becky Lynch earlier this year, and they just had their baby. So, oh wow, yeah, that all happened in the same year. That is a big year for pregnancy. Yeah, so, two members of the that? Shield and Cody. Much uh, the opposite of how John Moxley just kind of matter of factly mentioned it in the promo. <laughs> you might have missed it. They really went out of their way to put over the fact that Cody is a father now. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what they do with the uh, Jade Cargill storyline now that Brandy is, you know, not going to be in action. Do they transfer that to to Red Velvet? Do they just move on with something else for Jade and still do Shaq and Cody? It was interesting. There was no mention of Shaq tonight on the show uh, after the angle that they did last week, which drew their highest uh, one minute, you know, segment uh, on the show last week. Yeah, they went over a million for Shaq. And uh, I mean, Shaq, I'm still not convinced Shaq is going to wrestle for AEW. We'll see. Hopefully he does. I know they're invested in it, but we'll see. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I have my doubts as well. Uh, Until, and we saw the thing with Tyson earlier this year, until it's pen to paper, um, I'll have my doubts. But, and Helico and Cody, uh, they had a good match. Um, I think it was clear last week that the Young Bucks beating and and Helico, and Evans, that was the end of that. They beat him clean. So I don't think it, it doesn't seem like they're feuding anymore because there really wasn't any reference to the Young Bucks feud uh, during this match. Cody got getting the win with the Cody Cutter. Uh, so yeah, it was it was a fun match, kind of a kind of one of those exhibition matches that you'd have back in the day on Saturday night's main event, or you, you still have all the time, but where you know you want to give your top guy a win over someone credible, but that's not another top guy. And I like that Cody now has another finisher he can use to potentially win a match so that if he has a big match, he can break this out and it can lead to a false finish. I really hope he hasn't changed his finish altogether um, and he's still using the crossroads, but uh, a Cody Cutter won in the match tonight. And I just hope that's just another finisher in his arsenal because I don't think wrestling does that enough anymore to where the baby face or anybody just has multiple finishes that can win them a match. Yeah. Uh, Joey is saying, I have a feeling this episode is going to do under 850,000 viewers wow. this week. I could kind of see that. That would be a huge drop. The 995,000 last week, right? Yeah, yeah. That would be a pretty big drop. It would be, but um, they didn't have anything that big advertised. Um, We'll see. I I mean, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a drop. Um, 995 to 850, that's about a 15% drop, but um, we'll see. Um, So so Cody with the win, after the match, uh, Team Taz came out. Taz congratulated Cody on his news of being a father. I thought, I thought Taz was going to go a lot farther on this, uh, <laughs> considering Cody brought up his, his son a, a few <laughs> weeks ago during their promo. Uh, Ricky Starks noted that no one on Team Taz got a congratulations for taking Cody and Turtle Boy, which was Darby Allen, as Darby is watching from the rafters. Taz threatened to put Cody in on paternity leave as Team Taz went for the attack. The lights went out, and out came Sting. So Sting came out with a, a bat, but powerful powerhouse Hobbs was not afraid, and he was uh, he was actually moving forward. Team Taz held him back, and Cody, Sting, and Darby all locked eyes as Sting made his way to the back. So that was the end of Sting on this show. Yeah, uh, and who knows what's going to happen between Sting and Will Hobbs? I think or powerhouse Hobbs that might have just been a one week thing or whatnot. Uh, if they're going to mix it up, but this is essentially the late '90s Sting where. I know he cut a promo last week, but he just shows up, kind of gives everybody a look. You kind of wonder what he's doing here. 
And I don't know how long they intend to stretch this out, but really three weeks with Sting and no direction, essentially, in terms of what he's going to do next. Yeah, I mean, there was that report from Sports Illustrated that the plan is for him to wrestle. So it makes sense for him to you know, be in a six-man tag with Darby and Cody against Team Taz. Now, when do you do it? They have that big New Year show that they're trying to load up. Um, you know, Ethan, uh, my buddy Ethan on Twitter noted that that seems very soon because the February pay-per-view actually isn't that far away. And when I think of February, it just feels like forever away. But it's really only two months. And so having Sting wrestle on that pay-per-view, that would, you know, definitely jump up the buys. Absolutely. Um, so up next, we had Miro interviewed about his actions from last week's Dynamite, uh, where he was fined $75,000 for injuring AEW staff. Uh, Miro cut this promo saying that Orange Cassidy owes him. Uh, he hyped up his match on AEW Dark against Sonny Kiss before announcing the biggest wedding announcement with Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford. And when asked about the injured staff members, Miro said, Bah humbug, it's my birthday. This is a strange uh, segment, uh, but uh, I, I just hope uh, Miro is a very funny guy naturally, but I. Don't like when he gets – I mean, he was such money as Rusev when he was just his killer and he was serious. And I think this is somebody who, even though he is funny in real life, should be serious more times than not. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Between what he's been wearing, his character being all over the place, Yeah, he, he was dressed like a, a boy band member last week, and then he was doing this vicious assault – I don't know, man. This is, Miro is not, uh, it's not doing it for me in AEW so far. Me neither. Uh, Eddie Kingston came out to the ring and bragged about taking out Pac, or Pac, stating that he went back home after being taken out. Eddie Kingston called out Lance Archer, and Archer's music played, and we had a brawl. Uh, Butcher and the Blade came in to help Kingston, and the Lucha Brothers came out to back up Archer. And then, boom, out of nowhere, Pac is back. So uh, the Death Triangle are back together along with Archer. And they took out Kingston and the group. And then Archer wasn't too pleased with... Uh, and then at the end, Pac took out Kingston as Archer was getting ready to choke slam in. And Archer wasn't too happy with Pac uh, stepping in as they bickered and they stirred each other down to end the segment. Yeah, Pac seemed very happy to be back. I thought he just seemed like he had such a pep in his step uh, throughout the show. I mean, he's usually great, but just in terms of being personality and whatnot. And then when they show Pac facing off with Lance Archer, I mean, I know the direction might be, you know, Team Archer versus Eddie Kingston and his uh, family, but I think Pac and Archer would just be such a phenomenal match. Like, I've never even thought of it, but just seeing them face off and the idea of them getting together, I think would be so good. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think think they could have a hell of a match. That size disparity, you know, disparity, it was quite apparent there uh, when they were standing next to each other, Pac and, and Lance Archer. But I mean, Pac is just, I think he's amazing. I think WWE really dropped a ball by, you know, uh, demoting him kind of to the cruiserweight division when they did, because he's showing that he has a lot to offer. Yeah. And I mean, he, he turned chicken salad and, you know, chicken shit and chicken salad. And with that character that really did start with WWE when he was being a heel and he started wearing his hair all wet. And, right. He was that crazed pack. He really found something, even though he wasn't getting much support from WWE. And I think he's just maximized on that in AEW. Yeah, I mean, he was the same character. Yeah, you know when he when he turned heel and, and was doing that, and they just never capitalized on it. Uh, up next, we had Dustin Rhodes uh, backstage addressing Evil Uno's comments from last week. He reminds him that 
that he wants to take the Dark Order out one by one, starting with 10. He says next week he wants Uno, and he says he's fixing to kick his ass. So that's, uh, that's one of the matches for next week. Do we see Seven show up within the next month? Because he referenced Seven again, and he said, you know, that it was a mistake. So it's two weeks with... Last week, I thought it was just a funny one-off joke. You mentioned it again. Is this going to manifest itself somehow? Yeah, for the, for those that don't get it, uh, Dustin's gimmick in WCW was seven for a little bit. I think it was... I, I don't even think it lasted a couple months, right? No. No, I think it was like a couple of weeks and that was done with. <laughs> and they made a reference. It was a very funny joke where Eva Luno said, you could be seven. And, uh, <laughs> and then this week, you reference it again. Hey, who knows? Maybe he'll bring it back for a week as part of a gimmick or something. <laughs> Yeah, um, we had the 14-man uh, tag team match was next this week because Wardlow uh, had a family issue, so he wasn't able to make the show tonight. So instead, uh, they took out uh, uh, Brandon uh, Cutler. Brandon Cutler, and so it was a 12-man tag team match with the best friends, the Varsity Blondes, Top Flight versus the Inner Circle, Jake Hager, uh, which was Jericho, Jake Hager, MJF, Ortiz, Sammy Guevara, and Santana. Uh, I thought this was a really fun match. Um, you know, at the at the very end, uh, Hager hit a blind, blind tag, hit an F10. Then MJF tagged in and got the cover and the win. Kind of similar to the Matt Hardy thing, except uh, he got it with Hager's blessing. Hager using Wardlow's finisher, I thought, which is a, a nice little touch there. Uh, so, yeah, uh, they got the win after the match to Inner Circle. Uh, they tried to get some extra shots in, but Top Flight came in and... and kind of chased them off and the inner circle then retreated and posed on the ramp. And later it was announced that top flight will face Chris Jericho and MJF next week. Yeah, this was a fun match. I like that they did a spot where everybody just jumped into the ring because you just don't see six, 12 man tag team matches every day. And uh, it was really fun to see that. I did think that top flight looked a little green. This was their probably the worst match since coming to AEW. And that's, you know, not saying much because they had two great matches uh, and so this, of course, was going to be a step down, but they did get lost a couple of times, it seemed, and the announcers had to kind of cover for them. Uh, but other than that, I think everybody looked good, and uh, I, I really enjoyed this match. Yeah, I know. It was, it was good stuff. Chris Jericho and um, and uh, Griffin, I, I, I had tweeted how uh, Griff, I'm sorry, Griff Garrison, um, yeah. how when Jericho was wrestling Garrison, it kind of reminded me of Will Smith fighting his younger self in Gemini Man. Did you ever see that movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Gemini Man, of course. Yeah. An <laughs> underrated movie, but yeah, that, that's a good comparison. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you go back and look at young pictures of Jericho and just imagine his hair a little curlier, they yeah. looked a lot alike. Uh, so after that, we had Thunder Rosa calling out Britt Baker. They do too many backstage segments that are like this, where it's someone talking and then they get attacked I, I don't know. I just feel like it's kind of overdone. Uh, but Thunder Rosa uh, is ripping into Baker. A rebel comes out and she's just there to distract her. And then Britt Baker attacked her from behind and uh, poured water on Rosa and re- that was removing her face paint. And then she asked if the camera was still on because she thought that ugly face of Rosa's would have broken the camera. Wow. So, I mean, Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa should be pretty good. This is another uh, angle that they seem to have been building toward for weeks, but it does seem like they have a, a certain destination to this where they're going to face off. But um, I, I'd like to see it. I think Britt Baker's gotten a lot better. Um, they do do a lot of backstage segments, and I noticed this because I just watched Impact last night, and they were doing a ton of backstage segments there. So it just kind of reminded me of that. 
Um, but I, I like Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker. I think they have potential to have great work together, and I think it could be Britt Baker's best match. Yeah. Uh, so up next, we had the Acclaimed versus SCU. Uh, this was the Acclaimed, de- their debut on Dynamite, Anthony Bowens and Max Caster. Um, before the match, Caster uh, did a rap uh, before calling out Kazarian over if he has hair plugs or not. Then Kazarian did a, a, a rap of his own, you know, kind of ripped into ripped into those guys. To me, the acclaimed have only been on Dynamite once, and it was a backstage segment with the Young Bucks, and they did do a rap. But this gimmick and their characters are not over enough yet, in my opinion, to be for to have the baby faces doing disraps on them. You know what I mean? Sure. Yes, they've been on Dark. Yes, they've been on BTE. The vast majority of the Dynamite audience do not watch those shows, uh, even though. People that do watch those shows think everybody does. They do not. Um, I feel like this gimmick should be established for a while before you have someone doing the battle rap or, you know, the rap disses back. Yeah, and I absolutely love this gimmick. I think it has a lot of promise. I mean, both guys are very charismatic and can pull it off. I love the post-rap they did at the end. Um, and uh, it's funny because Chris Daniels' rap, or no, Kazarian's rap against the acclaimed was funnier. I mean, I wouldn't say it was better in terms of skill-wise, but he had funnier lines, and they were kind of set up to make them look better in terms of rappers when it comes to Kazarian, where he had the line about man on a mission I thought was very funny. Uh, But the acclaimed, they're good at this, and I agree that you you really should give them a bunch of weeks of getting over so that when a babyface does clap back, then it's like, oh, oh my God, he's getting back. So, yeah, no, I agree with that, but I really love, I'm a big fan of the acclaimed. I want to see more of them. No, they're awesome, and uh, I mean they're confident on the mic. They're they're good in the ring, and they got the win over SCU. Uh, hopefully, this is a sign of things to come. They they did call out the Young Bucks after uh, who were in the crowd, and so they're going to face the Young Bucks next week. Hopefully, it's not one of those things where you know they they do a title match and then they're kind of forgotten about for a little while. Hopefully, they keep these guys going because these guys have a lot of charisma, and and I think uh, I think they could go on to to do some big things and they, you know, on the, it's weird. I kind of feel like calling dynamite the main roster, you know, kind of moving from <laughs> dark is. to dynamite, but <laughs> in AEW, it's the AEW main roster. Well, <laughs> I just wanted to point out a quick bar that uh, Max Caster said that I absolutely popped for. He said to the young bucks, kissing on your title, got you feeling like a cuck. I thought it was very funny. Yeah, so I so cuck is okay to say on TV. I was gonna say I didn't know you could say that on TNT. I mean, I know you could say shit, but cuck is a right. little further of uh, yeah, <laughs> shit, ass, and bitch. I know you could say, but I, cuck, I thought, eh. I didn't know if, if that's one of those banned words because, oh well, he said it, and then he said that they were acting like a, yeah, you said the girls on their cycle. Yeah, you know? yeah, you did say that. Yeah, uh, then we had a backstage segment with uh, Top Flight giving their respects to Chris Jericho and MJF, but saying uh, they're the coldest team in the game, and they challenged them to a tag match next week. Darius, man, I thought Darius was really good here. Uh, These guys are so young. They're 19 and 21, I believe. Darius is 21, right? I think Darius is the older one, yeah. Darius, man, he he came across really good on the mic. Uh, His brother still seems a little uh, uncomfortable, but uh, Darius already, his mic skills are already there. These guys are... You know, really solid in the ring already. I think. I think in a year or so, they're going to be they're going to be a threat. 
Yeah, it's not going to be too long. And like now that we're at the end of the year in 2020, they're just getting going. I just feel like this time next year, when we're in 2021, we'll be talking about the just the surge of momentum that they have and the improvement that they've made. The Young Bucks really seem to be big fans of theirs. So politically, they have the backing that they would need to get the opportunities in such a crowded tag team division. Uh, and I just really can't wait to see them work with some of these other tag teams that are super talented. Yeah. And... Do realize it's an old word, but I don't remember ever hearing it on TV. I didn't realize uh, Steve Johnson saying they use cuckold on the show Cheers back <laughs> in the eighties. I did not. I, I don't think I've ever even heard this word until like ten years ago. So I'm really yeah. With for me, especially the word cuck, it was the past few years is when that kind of came through my radar. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe it has been even like the last five years. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Diamante and Ivelisse versus Big Swole and NWA Women's World Champion Serena Deeb was next. Um, Deeb got Ivelisse in a submission uh, to prevent her from breaking up a submission on Diamante that Big Swole had her in. I hope that didn't sound too confusing. So Big Swole and Serena Deeb got the win after Big Swole uh, tapped Diamante out. Yeah, this is fine. I think Big Swole's improved. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of her in the past uh, month or so, but I do remember the last time she was in there, she uh, wasn't her best outing, but I, I thought Big Swole looked a lot better in this match. Yeah, absolutely. And backstage, we had Vicky Guerrero and Nyla Rose come in, and oh, uh, after the match, they came in, and they started attacking Big Swollen Deeb, and then Red Velvet came in with a chair and cleared house. So uh, then they had a stare down between all the women. Yeah, it, does it seem like they're kind of trying to cram as many women in one segment as possible with all that they have going on without trying to forget about the women's division? Because I, I just felt like they could have done without a segment like this in favor of maybe if they had something next week when they have more time for the women. This just felt really forced, like they were trying to get as much in the women's division as possible. Yeah, it's WWE used to do that a lot back in the day, where it's just like all the women in one tag match, and and uh, it, it does kind of feel like it. But at least at the same time, they have a ton of talent, so at least they are getting some screen yeah. time. But um, you know, hopefully, this Britt Baker uh, Thunder Rosa feud can bring a little more attention to the to the women's division because it has kind of been uh, overlooked uh, since it started. Now, um, I don't believe there was any mention of Diamante tonight, unless I'm, I mean, not uh, Abaddon tonight. No, no, I didn't hear it. Yeah. Uh, who's uh, feuding with Hikaru Shida. Um, but anyway, backstage, uh, the best friends were saying that they'll be at the holiday bash as they call out Miro for interfering in Orange Cassidy's match last week and costing him the diamond ring. Uh, FTR were, uh, stepped in on commentary after a promo package for the Jurassic Express aired. Uh, they question if the tag team division matters anymore, and Dax Harwood calls out Jurassic Express and says they are on FTR's crosshairs. This was really, I mean, they seem legitimately pissed off. I mean, they did a good job, especially the announcers, of kind of selling how mad they were and putting their hands up and I really thought this came across really well. I like when it, it seems less structured of a wrestling show and less forced when some of the promos are just a guy coming up, taking the announce set and, you know, making the announcement. I'm sure that maybe didn't have time for an in-ring segment, but I did enjoy FTR in this segment because they were really fired up. Yeah, no, it was really good. This is one thing with Dynamite. Some people complain about it. I, I don't. 
uh, is that they cram in a lot in a show, like a lot of different angles to where afterwards you probably forget a lot of them when you're done watching. Um, but I don't to me, it just keeps the show moving fast and you remember the big stuff. And then hopefully the minor stuff becomes bigger and bigger. And you start remembering that, if that makes sense. Like, it's yeah. like the attitude error. They put a lot in there, but the show moved fast and you remember the big stuff that's that's hooking you in. And then slowly but surely you build up new stars and then you start remembering those segments more. But at least it gives them something to do. You realize they're involved in something. And before the segments that they're on again, you know, they kind of air a recap of, of what happened. Right. And I just give it a different feel. I think people are just so used to watching one style of wrestling for so many years that when they see something else where there's a bunch of what they call crash TV that they kind of maybe get triggered and say, oh, this is not how wrestling's supposed to be done. And I do agree that if you do cram too much and eventually if you uh, get into a pattern where one storyline is trumped by the next, it could be exhausting. It could burn people out. But I do like that style in terms of branding AEW as a certain type of product that's going to give you a lot of action. And as long as they're not doing it in a way that burns out the audience, I really didn't think it was that egregious on the show. Yeah. And again, I believe, like, again, I think it keeps the show moving fast. Like, I know the New Day are feuding with the, the Hurt business. I don't need to right. see them wrestle every single week. And I remember, but it's the same thing happening every week. This is, you know, faster. You might not remember it, but it does get a lot of people on the show and it builds up stuff for the future. Um, uh, someone was pointing out that Abaddon was on, um, was on dark last night. Okay. Terry Allen Jr. is asking, Raj, do your kids watch AEW sometimes? They do not. Have you shown it to them? Have you, uh, maybe called them in for a segment like the Debonair Junior or Debonair or whatever? They would probably like that. Yeah. They would probably like some of that stuff, but for the most part, they're not big into wrestling. They liked Sasha Banks uh, like a year or two ago, and they'd watch some of her stuff in Bailey, but that was about it. Okay, wow. Yeah, I've, I've tried too. Like yeah. now, my wife allows them to watch wrestling, and they have no desire. <laughs> it's when kids wanted to watch wrestling more when it wasn't okay for kids to be watching it. When it, I mean, they marketed it to children, but the content was definitely adult content. That's when kids watch wrestling the most. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean. That's the one thing when you're when you're targeting it to little kids like Vince McMahon was like from 93 to 90. Well, really the whole time, but really from 93 to 95 when they had the over the top cartoony characters, you know, with the plumbers and everything. And uh, Dukes to Dumpster Drossy. And it did way better with kids in the Attitude Era when they were marketing it to, you know, young adults. Yeah. Um, Anywho, Uh, the main event, Kenny Omega versus Joey Janela. Uh, there was so, so Don Callis was out. Uh, he was talking on the mic during the match, handing Kenny Omega uh, the mic during the match. So Omega was talking during it too. Omega per- mostly dominated this match. There was uh, there was one point where Omega put Janela on a chair and did this uh, this dive to the outside that was just insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, Omega hitting two big, two v, two V triggers and a one winged angel to get the win. Um, fun match. It was, and I do think that the commentary was very funny and entertaining. I mean, they were they did just enough to not be too obnoxious, but I, I thought it was just fine for both heels to be commentating. And I like the fact that Don Callis goes to the announce table and tries to bully Tony off the desk, and Tony just says, "Kiss my ass." So they're really going in with uh, they're antagonizing Tony Schiavone because he keeps 
making all these comments about Impact Wrestling. I believe his joke on commentary this week was uh, Impact Wrestling's ratings went up from one person to six. Right. So <laughs> I just like the back and forth that they're having with Tony Schiavone. Uh, there was one point where Kenny got put to a table and Janela delivered a leg drop and seemed to land right on Kenny Omega's face. So that was a uh, not didn't look like a lot of fun for Kenny, but it was a lot of fun in terms of a plunder match, in terms of the commentary that they had, and they're really doing a lot to put over Kenny Omega as this big heel. Yeah, there was this one. Was it the finish after? I can't remember if it was after the V triggers or the one winged angel where uh, Janelle is flat on his back, but his arms and legs are straight up. I think, yeah, I think that was after the, one of the V triggers. Or that maybe the second V trigger. Yeah. That just looked ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I mean, that was, I was like, man, what are you doing? But uh, other than that, a really good match. It was short, surprisingly. Um, but, but it was good. And I think, in this case, you need to give Omega. Not every Omega match should be 50-50. You know, there are some ones where he should be more dominant, especially with this heel character if he's supposed to be the greatest wrestler in the world. Yeah, and they started off with that win over Sun and Kiss where it was just basically a squash two moves. And I'd like to see Kenny win matches like that more times than not. Yeah. If you're the greatest wrestler in the world, it's like if you're the greatest chess player in the world. You beat people in, you know, four moves sometimes. So Now, here's a question. Would you be okay with Kenny Omega squashing Rich Swan if they did a title for title deal? Well, here's the thing, then. Does he get the title, and does AEW want Omega losing the Impact title at some point? You know, right. like, that's that's where it gets tricky, and, and, and we'll get to that, too, with Kenny Omega teaming with the Good Brothers at, at Hard to Kill in January. Uh, but, no, I, 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 I'd either do a dq or a double count out or just not do that match right i mean that's a choppy waters because you do have to consider the fact that they wouldn't lose it but i mean i really if they're going to do a belt collector gimmick i would i would want to see it i would want to see it at this level because usually with belt collector gimmicks it's not necessarily done in the bigger promotions um and i kind of want to see what aew would have in store for something like that yeah i mean i hmm. it's one thing to collect the belts but when it's time to lose the belts yeah that's where it gets dicey I mean, who in Impact, I mean, yeah, I just couldn't see them wanting their top guy to, you know, or one of their top guys losing to uh, someone in a promotion a lot smaller than theirs. Right, right. No, that, that is the double-edged sword. Yeah, so after the match, uh, Callis was calling out the haters, saying now there's going to be no more unanswered questions for the champ. And just as he says that, Pac and the Death Triangle walked in. And Pac said he has unfinished business with Omega and wants to address injustice. He noted that Phoenix never lost his number one contenders match. And he tells Pac, so Callis tells Pac, wrestlers don't tell the world champion what to do. Pac says he spoke with Tony Khan, who has made Omega versus Phoenix for the AEW world title official for December the 30th. And the show closes as Omega is not happy with that direct, with that decision. Very over the top, which I love. They just say, you can't do this. What are you talking about? What? I just love Kenny Omega going off the air. <laughs> Omega's good in this role. This is the best he's been, in my opinion, since he's been in AEW. Yeah. It seems like a new lease on life. I don't even think he was bad. Listen, he had arguably the greatest tag team match in history. He was great before, but I mean, he's even better now. Yeah. No, I liked his dynamic with Hangman Page, but he feels like a real star right now, like a single star. Uh, Zook Enigma saying, Kenny and Don are gold together. I... I agree. I like the pairing. Mm-hmm. Great talker, Don. I did sit in on a media call. I don't know if you sat in on that today with Don Callis. No, I wasn't able. To. I did see the the invite thing for. How was that? 
It was a, 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 the biggest waste of time. Oh, really? Well, he's completely in character, right? He's completely in character. And so you, if you're trying to ask a real question, yeah. it's like you're here t speaking to the media, promoting Hard to Kill. And he's like, well, if I had to tell you what I would tell you, do not care about wrestling and go read a book. And, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> where Jesus. It's one thing to be healing on TV and stuff, but don't do a media call. If you're not going to give the media anything to report on, it's just a waste of time. Yeah. There's a... You know, there's no articles we're going to write from it. It's all in character. Yeah, know, I never get what promos. the point is with that, especially for that audience. You got to read the room. They know what's going on. They're no, they're going to know he's in full character and they're not going to want to pursue something like that. The reason, that's the reason I didn't even get on the call is because I've just been seeing him do all these in-character interviews. And I was just thinking, is it going to be more of that? Because I don't really, I'm not going to cover anything like that. Impacts are the worst with the press conferences because they, like so many of the people that are on those calls are asking you know, kayfabe questions like, yeah. you know, how, how are you going to get revenge for what Eric Young did to you last week? And they, and, you know, it's 45 minutes of questions like that. And, uh, you know, at least with WWE, with their media calls and stuff, they Triple H answers real questions. Tony Khan answers real questions. Um, so anyway. Yeah, they seem to have very specific plans for this angle. And I guess this is one of their edicts is Don Callis is going to be in character for the whole thing. Yeah. Well, at least have at least have someone on that could answer a couple of real questions. Yeah, like a uh, Do you want to take over? Uh, do you want to take over NXT? Yes, let's uh, talk about NXT from uh, the CWC. We start with the Way versus Kushida and Leon Ruff, who are already in the ring. The Way make the ring to the ring with that trophy that Candice LeRae is carrying. Wade's really putting it over. Uh, new gear for Austin Theory and Johnny, uh, who's just kind of matched with Johnny Gargano uh, with the shorts. And uh, Ruff had a scary landing at one point doing like a double springboard, uh, but he finished the match. He actually looked pretty good in there. Uh, Ruff at one point rolled up Gargano. Austin Theory was illegal. Man, however, stomped Ruff in the head. He shouts, this is the way. And he hits his finisher, modified pump handle slam on Russ. Uh, this match goes for about 20 minutes, but uh, the way win, I thought it was very good. What did you think about it, Raj? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um... You know, I, I've said before that one of the reasons why I don't do the, the, the Wednesday podcast uh, is because NXT isn't necessarily my, my cup of tea. Um, but I thought I thought this was a strong opener. And and I thought tonight's show was actually really good. I mean, there was not much momentous that happened, but I thought it was just solid from from top to bottom. And I thought Karrion Cross's uh, return was just awesome. Yeah, yeah, picked up right where they left off. We'll get into that. Uh, we go to... And real quick, I thought Austin Theory, too. I don't know if... He looks more jacked than ever. Like, he looked really, really big. Like, I don't know if it's just standing next to Johnny Gargano, uh, but he looked huge. That's what I thought it might be, but he did look gigantic in that match. I mean, maybe it's his new gear showing off his ripped quads now, but, like, <laughs> he did look very big. And I think it might have been partly standing next to Johnny Gargano, but I really don't remember him looking that big before he left. Yeah. Um, which was about, what about a month ago, maybe more. So that's enough time to put on some muscle. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely since his time on the main roster. So yeah. he looked, I mean, he stood out. He looked impressive. Yeah. I really like this match. I like them as a tag team and they might talk about a belt collector gimmick. I mean, they're a full fledged tag team essentially. And I can't, I wouldn't be surprised if they won the NXT tag team title within the next couple of months. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we cut to Dexter Loomis. He's on the stage staring at an iPad. So He's beginning a painting. This is going to go on for the rest of the show. Um, you get a promo from Dexter Tony. Dexter Loomis is, is one of those things that I just can't. It, it just does nothing for me. 
He's very polarizing. I actually happen to like him. I just think he has some, a natural presence. I think they use him right in terms of being a creepy guy. Sometimes they do a little too much with him. But um, I, honestly, mark my words, I think he could be a guy who could be a big star on the main roster because the rule of thumb in NXT is the guys who are kind of, I don't want to say cast aside, but they're not celebrated as much. Guys like uh, Elias, they tend to have better careers on the main roster. And the people, like uh, your, whether it's your Adam Roses, whether it's uh, Bailey early when she first came on, when people are really celebrated at NXT, they tend to have kind of a fall from grace. Keith Lee, as you're seeing now, I think Dexter Loomis might be one of those people who at least has a pretty good run on the main roster. Mm, um, I can see that fall from grace happening to him. Carrying Cross is one I don't, but uh, WWE has uh, screwed up bigger Oh, yeah. uh, bigger things in the past but uh, that one thing with dexter loomis i just think his name too is a little too on the nose it's like if his name was like hannibal kruger right. you know or <laughs> you know jason i mean not uh, freddie Voorhees or something like it's just too on the nose make it yeah. more subtle yeah uh we go to backstage where tony storm's cutting a promo saying that she ran rhea ripley out of nxt uk but rhea ripley did beat her at worlds collide not gonna happen again it's tony time then we go to another promo with Shotzi, who says uh, she's proud of her team. She broke Candice LeRae's arm in the cage, and now she's going to break her best friend. We go back. To- I'm, I'm looking at these promos. I'm just thinking, all these women, Tony Storm, Rhea Ripley, uh, you know, also Io Shirai, uh, Raquel Gonzalez, man, with Oscar uh, and Sasha, they need some real opponents right now. They need something new and something exciting, and any of these women would, would be something super super entertaining something to freshen things up especially given how long some of them have been on nxt where you're just kind of thinking like it's any minute now you can just call them up to the main roster yeah, and, yeah love they're all in the same they're on the same yeah, they're, area yeah, they're not, it's not <laughs> it's like, not like they gotta fly them out yeah, that is true uh we go to ciampa versus tyler ross tyler rust tomaso ciampa uh, versus tyler rust ciampa sets up a chair for timothy thatcher before the match uh, eventually, Thatcher does come down. He stands ringside. It was revealed during this match, which broke my heart, that Cameron Grimes will be out for four to six weeks based on Thatcher's attack from last week. So we've seen the last of Cameron Grimes in 2020. Uh, Russ accidentally kicks Thatcher after Ciampa moves out of the way. Uh, Russ had a lot of good-looking submission wrestling this match. They've got something with this kid, and I think they know it. Uh, Ciampa battles back, hits Willow's bell for the win during the break. Uh, in this match afterwards, uh, Malcolm Bivens came by Tyler Rust. He said, you're a star. And I really agree. I really like Tyler Rust in this match. And they gave, they gave him a lot. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they really made him look good. So, yeah, I mean, you, you could tell that they're going to be doing something with him, in, you know, in the coming year. He just seems like one of these guys that maybe not Vince McMahon of today, but the old school, the contemporary Vince McMahon uh, would just salivate over in terms of a baby face with this long, blowing blonde hair with a lot of fire, kind of like a Kerry Von Eric character, but much better worker. Uh, I really like the, the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, Clyde is saying uh, NXT women are ready for their own show. Wow. I, I don't know about NXT women, maybe women in general. I don't even know if WWE's ready for a women's show based on how badly they're, they're ready for another everybody. show. Yeah. It's too much as it is. Too many way too many out. hours. Cut an hour of raw. <laughs> you know? I'll be fine with that. Yeah. Grizzled young bets are doing a promo backstage. They say uh, it's a pre-tape promo. Nobody had more momentum going into 2020 than them. But a lot has changed. And uh, the more things change, the more things stay the same. They're the best tag team in the world, and they vow to be NXT's number one. We go back to Loomis on stage. He's still painting, and it's starting to come together. It says NXT New Year's Evil. So it looks like he's po- painting a poster of New Year's Evil. 
Kyle O'Reilly takes on Pete Dunne. This is a match that will determine the number one contender for the NXT World Championship. Uh, We get an announcement that this match will air uninterrupted. Of course, it did air technically uninterrupted, but there were two commercial breaks with picture-in-picture, which is not what I thought they meant. Uh, Dane and Maverick brawled with Birch and Lorcan before the match. Brizango even returned very quick. This is very weird. Brizango comes in, and they jump into the brawl, but you don't really see them. They kind of cut back to O'Reilly and Dunn staring each other down, and they're really putting over that they're both focused on each other, and they're not looking at anything else. So they get into it, have this big brawling match. Got a little bit to get going, I thought, but at the end, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, there was a scary-looking kind of weird suplex off the apron that the camera missed, and that went right into the finish where it was a big knee to the neck from Kyle O'Reilly, and he pinned Pete Dunne. Yeah. Kyle O'Reilly is your new number one contender for the NXT Championship, so they're running it back with Kyle O'Reilly and Finn Balor. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I would still think that Finn Balor wins again. It, you know, it seems like Finn Balor versus Karrion Cross is the way to go unless they want someone for Karrion Cross to squash. And then it's probably easier to squash Kyler Riley than, than Finn Balor. Uh, so, yeah, I was, I, was, I was a little bit surprised. That's what part of me thought. That's immediately where my mind went is that, well, he's not going to beat Finn again. Maybe they're going to have uh, – but if he does, maybe he would beat Finn just so he could be a guy that Karrion Cross can destroy in uh, 15 seconds because they don't want to do that to Finn. But, I mean, especially after last week's segment where Finn Balor kind of called out Karrion Cross, I think the direction really should be Karrion Cross versus Finn Balor. And it would take the wind out of his sails a little bit if you take the title, uh, go from one guy to the other guy for a couple of weeks, and then it goes to Karrion Cross. I think Karrion Cross really has to dethrone Finn Balor. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sorry, I meant uh, for Pete Dunne to go and face Finn Balor. It just, and then Finn getting the win there uh, just seemed to make more sense as opposed to Kyle O'Reilly, just keeping Kyle O'Reilly out of that picture right now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, so Finn versus Finn versus Kyle O'Reilly. I mean, they had a hell of a match. Hopefully, they don't injure them. You know, injure each other again this time. But they had a hell of a match last time. Yeah, and I like that they have that built-in storyline. They did bring it up on commentary. I like the line that Wade Barrett had. He said, "Well, you know, people have injured me before, and I couldn't wait to get back in the ring with them." So right. uh, they're going to definitely be playing on that injury. Yeah. We go to Zaya Lee, Rajgiri, and Zaya Lee is crying. She's doing something she doesn't want to do. Shifu Master doesn't care. Zai That means again. That is a new Chinese word that I've learned through these vignettes. She's kicking and punching, and her hands are bleeding, and she's crying. Then they show Bo Lee. Bo Lee's getting beaten up. His face is bleeding. He doesn't want it anymore. He says, that means please, no more. And he's bleeding. And the Shifu Master says, Zai So Bo is crying, and the Shifu Master is sitting there, just doesn't care. They show Zaya Lee. She's punching something. She's bleeding from the hands. Uh, the Shifu Master gets right in her face and he goes, Zaylai, which means again. And she continues to just punch and kick against her will. She clearly doesn't want to be doing this. Finally, they zoom out and Zia Lee is beating up Boa. Boa's bleeding from Zaya Lee's punches and kicks. And the samurai mysterious woman or figure is watching in the background. Zaylai! She keeps doing it over and over again. Boa's bleeding and the segment ends. I don't know what this is, but I got to tell you, I'm a treat. And it's, it's fun as hell to cover these segments. What do you think about these, Rod? <laughs> it's, it looked like they got some uh, filmmaking student interns from Full Sail that uh, joined the staff. And they're like, hey, I want to try this, you know, this. But it's different. I mean, I'm not, I'm not bored during it. So I'm curious to see where it goes. 
I can't help but watch. I can't take my eyes off it. And the amount of blood they show in these segments is so, I don't know what kind of clearance they got or, or what it is, but there is aggressive blood in these segments. Yeah, these aren't, uh, these aren't, you know, for the faint of heart, of course, she's punching him like 90 times and his face still looks the same every time they cut yeah, to him. Same amount of blood, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they can only have so much. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, other than that, you know, I'm again, it's not boring. I'm curious to see where it goes. Yeah, people are saying that it might be a Karen Q or Miko Satamora in terms of this mysterious person. I That's why I was thinking Miko Satamora. More, what if it's Charlotte Flair or something? What if it's just a blonde? You know, does it have to be an Asian person? But I would have no problem. Naomi? With me. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Just Feel the red. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, To Indy Hartwell versus Shotzi Blackheart, they had uh, an okay match. Uh, the referee is distracted at one point, and the finish comes when Indy uses a trophy to break it over Shotzi Blackheart. Uh, the way is pissed off that the trophy's broken. They take it out on Shotzi. So the idea is that um, even though Indy Hartwell used the trophy on Shotzi, they're mad at Shotzi for breaking this trophy. And Wade is just really putting this over that Shotzi broke this tr- beautiful trophy, which is a really cheap-looking kind of like youth sports trophy. Um, I thought they were going to build more to this. I was very disappointed to see them break the trophy so early because of how much they put it over. I thought my thought, seeing Shotzi being part of this angle, is that they were going to build up how great this trophy was, and then Shotzi was going to break it just like Candice LeRae broke her tank. Uh, but no, two weeks in, the trophy's broken. Yeah, uh, Alejandro Villarreal is saying if NXT is to have a Worlds Collide next year, I would love to watch Walter versus Karrion Cross. I have a funny feeling Karrion Cross is going to be on the main roster way before that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, we get a Bronson Reed vignette that says he is coming back next week. I can't wait for that. Uh, then we get a Karrion Cross versus Desmond Troy. You know exactly what's going to happen. Whatever you think is going to happen, happens. Cross absolutely mauls this man. Doomsday Sayuto, cross jacket for the win. And then he calls out of me. Damian Priest says, tuck your chin because your ass is mine. So uh, we're getting Karrion Cross and Damian Priest at New Year's Evil. NXT, I mean, they're doing the old school WWF formula of how to build a new star. You bring him in, you, you know, a, a new big, you know, a large star. You, you, you bring him in, you get him a, a bunch of wins, um, you make him look dominant, and then you, 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 got a, you got a superstar right there. I mean, they would do that all the time in the, in the past. They would do that with anyone that faced Hulk Hogan. You know, they don't come in and, they, and be 50-50 and, and then they, they go to face Hulk. So this is just old school booking that still works. It's still effective. And we saw, man, Karrion Cross versus Keith Lee. I mean, they were doing great ratings for NXT this past summer. And yeah. it was just, I mean, it was great. So hopefully, you know, hopefully they, they keep staying careful with Cross. You know, this thing with Priest. Did they say that was going to be at the, the New Year's show? I believe it's going to be new. I don't think they announced it because they didn't make any mention of it. They just cut straight to Swerve Scott backstage. I don't think they've announced anything yet, but that seems to be the direction that they're going in. Yeah. So, uh, and yeah, in addition, all those things you said, they present him as just different from everything else in the show. Um, that entrance is so incredible with uh, uh, Scarlett that uh, he's definitely somebody who, who just seems like a superstar. You don't have to be familiar with the product to know. Do you think Vince screws him up? Yes, Absolutely. I think I just think he, they've gotten so good at screwing people. up. I was in awe at how quickly they screwed up Keith Lee just one week after another doing the move. And even though they might be excited about it, it's like it's these days, whenever Vince is excited about something, it seems to manifest itself in him kind of smothering it and killing it on accident. You know, uh, so I, they'll find a way. 
Because when I think of people like with really cool entrances in NXT that that went to the main roster, like Nakamura, Bobby Roode, Aleister Black, and they all got screwed up. Yeah, the Fiend. I mean, you they they screwed that up very quickly. In terms, I wouldn't say he's dead as a character. He's hot now, but you remember what happened, and it led to some of the biggest backlash I have ever seen uh, for a professional wrestling match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bray Wyatt is a part of the Andre the Giant Battle Royal one year, so yeah, that's how. Far he'd fallen, but he did come back. Uh, Jody Shauna Jenkins with the $5 super chat saying, the mysterious figures are the return of the jumping bomb angels. <laughs> the jumping bomb angels. There's a, there's a good reference. It's a hell of a callback. I was watching the 92 Royal Rumble. We're doing this feature on the wrestling Inc. daily next week with it being Christmas from Tuesday to Friday, where we each get to pick a show and I picked the 92 Royal Rumble. So oh, awesome. I was going back and reviewing it. And then I just started thinking about that, that 88 Royal Rumble and that had the jumping bomb angels on it. So anyway, you know, I love those old school. Whenever it's Royal Rumble season, I just get into this mode where I watch a bunch of the Royal Rumbles. I really do love those old Royal Rumbles where they wouldn't play their music. So you just got to yeah. see how over certain people were. Some people would run out to no reaction. Then like a dusty Rhodes would come out and the place would just go nuts. Right. And I just really liked hearing the different crowd pops. It's kind of like an evaluation of how over everybody is at the time. Yeah. And that 92 Royal Rumble, that had a star power like no other match in, in history ever. Absolutely. I mean, you had Hogan, Piper, Savage, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, obviously. Um, it, it, it was just insane the amount of talent that was in that Royal Rumble. Kerry Von Erich, even though he wasn't, yeah. he was on his the dissension then. So it was, it's nuts. Anyway. We go uh, to a backstage interview with a Swerve Scott, who was clearly going heel. Uh, he was asked about uh, not shaking hands with Jake Atlas. He said he gets pissed off whenever he loses, especially to somebody like Jake, and kind of doubles back and says, well, you know, I know he's been here for a while, but I'm better than him. Uh, he says he wants a rematch next week, and it's going to be different. Then Everrise crashes this interview after Shane walks off. Uh, they're complaining. They say they went to corporate because it was basically two-on-one last week. They had the match stricken from the record books. And then they had a line of action that was pretty funny. Uh, one of them says, I don't like that, Goldberg. We're coming for you. So I don't know if this is going to be a running thing where Everrise keeps losing and has the records kind of finessed, but... I will see. These guys are clearly just going out of their way to be heels. So WWE or NXT is really kind of promoting Ever-Rise as like a heel tag team. Yeah. We go to Dexter Loomis for the payoff of why he's been painting for all this time. And the portrait is done. And it looks like Dexter Loomis will be your host of New Year's Evil, which is going to be interesting because Dexter Loomis does not talk. Right. Are you excited about Dexter Loomis? Is he he just going to paint pictures all night of like the matches and what's coming up next? I do think so. We'll see what happens. Maybe he'll run an angle. He'll just be up there uh, heckling people with uh, paintings of their match. And if they lost, uh, maybe, you know, what would be funny is if they, he scored people. I mean, see, he drew these really fancy numbers out of 10, like eight out of 10 to, to score the match if he it's likes like, it. It's like an <laughs> eight on a barn with this beautiful background. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know how they're going to work. Right, listen, I'm intrigued to see how they make this work. I hope they don't do too much with it. This is where a Dexter Lewis needs to be used. You know what I mean? It's like an ancillary to the product in terms instead of like a blindfold match or any of the wacky stuff that they tend to do with him yeah, yeah. finally we get to the main event Rhea Ripley. Uh, so people are asking alejandro villarreal is asking if new year's evil is a normal showing or an nxt takeover it's a it's a as tammy is pointing out it's a wednesday show so it's going to be yeah, right in the normal time slot it's going to be um oh, sorry uh it's going to be it's going to be head-to-head with Dynamite, and Dynamite is also doing those special theme shows. Next week, they're going to be a couple hours late because of the NBA game, and, and we'll get to that. 
So we get to our main event. This is Rhea Ripley versus Tony Storm. I think it's a good match. They have a lot of chemistry together, obviously from their NXT UK days. Uh, Rhea Gonzalez shows up. Uh, she's bumped into the barricade and over the barricade uh, by Rhea Ripley. And then she runs back in and she slams Rhea Ripley into the post. Tony Storm hits Storm Zero and pins Rhea Ripley. I mean, Tony Storm won. Uh, it is what it is. And I just think this has just been the worst year for Rhea Ripley. This might be the biggest fall from grace that I've seen <laughs> in a single year from an NXT star. And it's not her fault. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. In this case, I do think Tony Storm should have gotten the win. But at the same time, I wouldn't have beaten Rhea Ripley so much coming into this either. And they have beaten her a lot. Um, you know, she went from being in a, a women's title match at a WrestleMania for the NXT title to back to NXT and then just further and further down the card. Yeah, I just, I just don't. This is one of those matches where I would have booked something different because you wouldn't want to beat either of them. But at the same time, um, Raquel Gonzalez and, and Rhea Ripley—that's it's a pretty cool feud, and it just makes it less special when Raquel beats her because yeah. she has, you know, Rhea Ripley has been losing so much anyway. Yeah, and if you read the tea leaves, that's pretty much exactly what's probably going to happen because they are heating up Raquel Gonzalez to go after the NXT Women's Championship, I think. And uh, obviously, first, they're going to do something with Rhea and and Raquel, and Raquel lost last time. So Raquel's probably going to win this time, and it's just going to be another loss for uh, Rhea Ripley. And you you just think of how hot she was. The fact that you could argue she had the best in-ring match with Charlotte Flair at WrestleMania this year. And for them to not pull the trigger at WrestleMania, ever since then, it was just that one match that you see that a big babyface loses when they in a position to just win that big match. And they lose that match, and then they just never get to where they, they should get. And that's where Rhea Ripley seems to be right now. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, Raquel Gonzalez, we have an exclusive interview with her at WrestlingInc.com. You oh, excellent. Check it out. It's actually ran today, so check it out on Wrestling Inc. You can hear the audio on the Wrestling Inc. Daily. If you're not subscribing to that, subscribe to it on all platforms. I read the transcript for the Gonzalez interview. It was really good. I think I didn't. I mean, I didn't conduct it. But no, yeah, but it was, yeah, I know what it's like. Yeah, that's the show. So yeah, we go off the air with Rhea Ripley selling. All right. So yeah, yeah. I thought uh, another good night. If you had to rank them, uh, what do you pick tonight between AEW and NXT? I enjoyed AEW more. I don't think it was a a big difference, but I did think that the highs of AEW really are going to resonate with me. And NXT was a fine show. I think from beginning to end, it was a fine show. I didn't have any problems with it. I like the fact that they're building toward the pay-per-view. They're doing a good job of it. Um, But I did like AEW tonight. Yeah, Uh, I agree. I thought thought AEW was the better show tonight. You know, again, I think NXT, they got their mini Thunderdome, which I think is great, but that's... I'd like to see them change up the presentation a little bit. It's so dreary. You know, AEW just comes yeah. across so lively. You're getting killed in the ratings. Um, you know, up up the presentation a little bit. Make it livelier. Right. No. Anyway. Uh, but for NXT, I thought it was still it was still a solid show. So yeah. we had talked about the raw ratings uh, this past week. Let's let's talk about really how bad it was. Uh, did a 1.527 million viewers on the USA Network. Uh, did 1.527 million viewers on the U- USA Network. By far the worst number it's ever done, and that includes holidays. Uh, down 12% from last week. So last week did 1.737. I figured it was going to be down this week, but I thought it was going to be the high 1.6s. I wasn't expecting it this bad. 
Uh, so the first hour did 1.627 million, second hour did 1.512 million, and the third hour did 1.44 million viewers. For all three hours, it was the lowest uh, viewers they've ever done for each hour. So just terrible numbers across the board. And then in the 1849 demo, uh, they did a 0.41, which was, again, by far the worst number they've ever done in that demo. So, you know, when you're talking about The Fiend, The Fiend was all over the show, uh, you know, up until the end. Um, stuff is not clicking uh, with, with viewers. No, and they they earned that rating. Like, when they're doing that show, it's one comedy segment after another. It's a nonsense with the milk and the hurt business. It's a nightmare before TLC, which started the show, which, you know... I think that might have been the beginning of the end for a show like that. And the reason that it did such a bad number is they're starting with all this comedy for their big angle. And then they're going into the milk gimmick. And then they're going to the bronuts throughout the show. And then they're doing hide and go seek. And it's just one storyline and character after another is being presented through comedy. And this is just not how to present professional wrestling. If you see within their own company on NXT, you know, I, I praise them for how well they've been doing promoting this New Year's Evil show, which every week you see an angle between two people who have a conflict. And then they're going to have a match at New Year's Evil. It's as simple as that. And one theme that I've noticed that is very scary, the scariest part of these record lows WWE's done, they've done three record lows this year. All three of their record lows have been for go-home shows at pay-per-views. The go-home at Money in the Bank did a record low. The go-home at Extreme Rules did a record low. And this is the go-home for TLC that's doing another record low. I remember once upon a time, not too long ago, maybe even two years ago, uh, the go-home show and the show after were the two biggest viewership numbers of the month. And if your go-home shows are not connecting with people, that is a screaming indictment on your product's ability to build a match. This is supposed to be building to the crescendo. This is the match is hot. You're supposed to tell us one last reason why we should tune in, and people aren't even tuning in for the sales pitch. So this is scary. Yeah. Um, Edward Cousins saying the NFL football game was great. Monday, uh, Joel Jose is saying the football game was insane. It was, but it actually did fewer viewers the football game than the week before. Yes. Uh, the week before was on ABC and ESPN and did about, I think it was almost like a million and a half more viewers. So, um, I'm, I'm, you know, that could be part of why the third hour was, I mean, it, the, the, the actual ratings fall was about the same as it would be. And the first hour wouldn't have been so bad if the game was insane because the game hadn't even gotten going yet. so Right, and there have been countless, there's countless examples of games that not only were crazier or did bigger numbers and Raw just kind of held even. This really, I don't think that you can really blame something out of the ordinary. I'm watching this show in hour one and I'm just like, this has got it. This is going to be one of the worst ratings of the year. Uh, just watching, just in instinct, just seeing how much comedy they're doing, how silly it is, how nothing seems to be making sense. We talked about that whole Lana storyline that they've been building. This is the opposite of them building to a big match because they took her out of the match. And you're just kind of being taught that if you pay attention, not only will they patronize you with a goofy comedy, uh, they're not even going to pay off their big storyline. So I-, I don't think this has much of anything to do with that football game. I know it is a valid excuse. It was a crazy shootout. But I think just WWE is at a point where there's a huge disconnect between how the product is presented and how fans are enjoying it. Absolutely. Uh, Justin Lopez, this is exactly to your point. Justin Lopez with the 499 Super Chat saying, how are you even supposed to hold an audience by opening your show with what Raw opened up with? If I wasn't a longtime fan, I would have shut that crap off. Very good censoring. There's a lot of words you could use for that poo emoji. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if Dynamite gets to say shit, why shouldn't I? I yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this uh, Rich Antonio bringing up that Dynamite segment with Sting had almost 1.1 million viewers last week. Uh, should they occasionally do a Monday show just to see what kind of numbers they draw, or is it too soon? 
So, so last week's episode of Dynamite did a point four five. So I beat every episode of Raw this past, and that's in eighteen forty nine. So I beat every hour of Raw this past Monday night in eighteen forty nine. Now that was a very special episode of Dynamite. That's not their normal rating. This was the worst episode, you know, the worst lowest rated episode of Raw ever. So until you have a few weeks of data, you can't really uh, go by what it is. But that is scary. That Within a you know within a seven day time span we have an episode of AEW Dynamite beating Raw in that demo. I mean that should be a huge cause of concern for WWE. I do think you know when you talk about the demo being the only thing that matters. If you read any articles on viewership, they include the total viewers, and yep. most people to them the total viewers is more impressive. They don't un- they don't care about the advertising demo. They don't understand all that. To them, the, the overall viewers is kind of what sticks out. And that's why you'll usually see that number in sports, you know, in ratings articles. If you look up N- NFL ratings, you'll usually see the total viewers reported first. And then sometimes not even the 18 to 49, but usually you will see that second. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, AEW, it's become its own thing. The demo number, of course, De- Chris Jericho has a demo god gimmick and stuff like that. But that is a very important number. Uh, especially in terms of how you're seeing AEW kind of gain ground on WWE. If nothing else, like maybe total viewership is more important, but if you're just seeing how much AEW is overperforming in that demographic and how poorly WWE is doing, this is an indication for how their future could be set up. I mean, if you're not able to generate young viewership, you can't depend on 50-year-old viewers forever. They're eventually going to get too old to watch wrestling or something's going to happen, but you've got to build this next generation of fans, especially in the 18 to 34, who are going to be the people who buy things, who are your kind of clientele. And this is just kind of a, a, a note for how effective business-wise WWE or AEW could do in the long term. If you start to erode those numbers, it's not a very good thing at all. Yeah. Should be noted that SmackDown has still been doing well on Fox. So they've been yeah. fine. This is, you know, it's really raw. And if you watch Raw, I found, you know, if SmackDown didn't have Roman Reigns or Sasha Banks right now, that's a, that show would be in a lot more trouble. Yeah, and they've got really hot angles, and they, and they even have the Mysterio family angle, even though they've kind of got off the rails with them acting like heels. That stuff with Seth Rollins was really starting to pick up when they got to SmackDown. Yeah. And yeah, I agree, and especially with viewership. But uh, yeah, SmackDown was actually kind of a disaster outside of Roman Reigns, who I thought was phenomenal. And, um, and you know, Sasha Banks is, uh, I think she's a good character, but I just think she should always be a heel. I just, I never like babyface Sasha Banks, especially in a program like that with a character who essentially acts like Sasha Banks. She's got the same gimmick. She doesn't call herself right. the boss, but she's a woman in charge who's going to boss guys around and, and have things catered to her and whatnot. And it's yeah. just seeing these two clash is I don't like it at all. Yeah, I feel like that's why it's not resonating. Like Bailey and Sasha did, or even Asuka and Sasha, because you did have that contrast. Uh, Alejandra Villarreal saying, for me, it's easier to watch NXT over Raw. 100%. I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, so according to WrestleVotes, uh, and they have broken a lot of stories in the past, uh, the news of the record low numbers for this past Monday night's Raw isn't sitting well with those in power to a point where they expect reactionary decisions to be made in the near future. You know, we talked earlier about how this happened two years ago where they hit, did their record lows for, for that time. A week later, Vince McMahon was on TV with Triple H and Stephanie McMahon saying the fans are the authority and everything's going to change. And within a, you know, within a, a month, nothing changed. Within a couple of weeks, nothing really changed. They know their formula. They stick with it. 
Yeah, and uh, I, this means nothing to me. The aggressive votes is a great source of whatnot. I'm just the idea of, well, they're going to make changes. There's one change they need to make that everybody knows they need to make. They're not going to make that change. So until that's the change that I hear about, this means nothing. I would say this, and I don't want to call out anybody's job or whatnot. I'll be very nervous as far as Bruce Pritchard because we're coming up on the end of December, and WWE, when they're getting into ratings trouble, has this pattern of toward the end of the quarter, they need a scapegoat. Uh, one time it was Eric Bischoff, then it was Paul Heyman. Here's Bruce Pritchard in their position with record lows again, and I think that might be a scapegoat in terms of, oh, look, we fired another guy, and so our ratings are going to turn around after that. Uh, but WWE has been doing the scapegoat game for the past year with their ratings eroding. So this story of them looking to do reactionary measures, just going to be more of that. And the ratings six months from now are going to go down again. Yeah, I, I think look, I think Vince McMahon is a genius as a businessman. Um, but I also think he's kind of a bad businessman right now. Because right now, if you look at the, the part of your business that's hurting, and that's causing you, you know, that's causing your your popularity to decline. And if it's clearly creative, if you got a competitor that is doing, you know, that's again, it's not this week, but last week's AEW beating you in that demo, and they're new at this. They've only been around doing weekly TV for a little over a year. At some point, you got to say, okay, the creative I'm doing is not working. I'm gonna, you know. Uh, put someone else in charge and let them really handle it and get some new ideas and look at other TV and see what's working and, and, and adjust and, and, you know, pivot back in the day. If you look at an episode of, of raw from 93 to, to 96, it looked completely different. 96 to 99 looked completely different. Once you hit 2002, you know, 2000, 2001, it's kind of looked the same ever since, you know, minor changes to the set, but they need, big changes like a complete overhaul creatively um with how they do their promos with even they get rid of the lighting on the led you know the led posts uh, on the on the ring posts it's over you have too much light you know with the lights and lights on the ring apron it takes away some of the intensity just it, it just needs a complete overhaul and you got two shows where you can kind of experiment with certain things and they're doing the same exact things on both shows yeah, and I even like when whenever they would have a pay per view, they would always have a different stage and set up for the pay per view. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Make, I mean, great. we're not talking about right now and during COVID. Sure. Because, oh, know, sure. Yeah, I mean, it'd be very hard logistically to do that. But right. and listen, promoters burn out. Even if Vince was in his prime, I remember um, not that I was around for this, but Jerry Lawler likes to talk about how when he was booking Memphis, him and Jerry Jarrett every six months, I believe, automatically they would change who books. So six months it was Jerry Lawler. Six months it was Jerry Jarrett. And that's only because promoters just burn out. If you're just promoting wrestling every single week, it doesn't matter how much of a genius you are. Dusty Rhodes is one of the biggest wrestling geniuses of all time. He would burn out. Uh, and Vince has been doing this nonstop for decades, and he might have burned out a few times. Uh, and if nothing else, it would be good for him to just at least give the book to somebody else who's outside of his complete purview. Not somebody who he thinks would book the wrestling product the way he would, but somebody who's completely different because we need to change. If this was an NFL team, Vince, as a head coach, to save his job but have somebody else start calling the plays – you know, so that he can show to the investors, hey, look, we're going to um, do a new winning model. But the fact that the same guy is going to be uh, at the helm, I don't know what changes you can make to stop this from happening. Yeah, I agree. And until they fix that, the popularity is going to drop. But luckily, they're in a, in a, in a, at a time when the TV rights fees are so insane that they have been doing really well with TV rights fees. At some point, there's going to be that cross where your TV ratings have you know, dropped so low and Fox doesn't need them. Uh, and it's going to, you know, it, there's going to be a huge backlash. It's best to fix those problems earlier than later. And they keep, 
they keep not fixing them. Um, also, Impact, um, you know, we, you, you kind of knew it would be down, but it was down quite a bit. Um, uh, this past Tuesday's edition of Impact Wrestling, it did one uh, 177,000 viewers on Access and a .04, not a .4, .04 rating in 18 to 49. It barely cracked the top 150 for the night in the cable top 150 coming in at 140, number 143. And so they were down 20% from last week in terms of viewers on Access. They were down 50% in that 18 to 49 demo. And they were down 72%, or basically depending on how you want to look at Twitch numbers, but anywhere from 70 to 72%, you know, from what they did the week prior. And I think what's worse is that the demo number, 18 to 49, was actually lower than what they did two weeks ago. While viewership, wow. it's still one of their higher rated shows of the year for total viewership, but it barely cracks their top 10 viewership for the year. Yeah, this shouldn't come as too much of a surprise because we were here last week and after we'd recapped the show, I think the consensus was that they had blown a golden opportunity to kind of goose their viewership and neither you nor Matt said that you were going to come back and watch it. Uh, they didn't really give too much of an incentive. And Kenny Omega, I don't think it helped that Kenny Omega's pulling this thing where we're going to have a big announcement and nothing really happens. Then he does the same thing uh, the next night on AEW Dynamite. So I think the fool's gold with Kenny Omega might have had an impact that it's like, well, what is Kenny Omega going to say that he didn't say last week. Um, if they would have advertised somehow that he was going to get physical, I mean, I don't know how you could have done that. Or maybe the next time if he ever has a match in Impact, I think that's the thing that they're going to need. But they really did have an opportunity in front of a huge viewership to tell people why you should watch Impact. And they, I think they dropped the ball on that. Yeah. And, and to that point, the Kenny Omega segment actually last week, um, you know, if you, if you thought it was getting a, a, a big it was going to do extra viewers because of the impact. It was actually the second lowest of the night in total mm. viewers and the third lowest in 1849 in the 1849 demo. So, um, and granted it was a really strong week. You had Shaq, you had sting, but it was still, um, you know, near the bottom as far as, as what drew that night. So we'll see. I mean, it, it, I still think impact it's good for their pay-per-view numbers, but it's not, it's not looking like they're going to gain a hell of a lot from this. Um, yeah, being on Access TV hurts too because it's not—it's just not very many homes, and they—they they saw much more of a bump on Twitch, where a lot of people find it easier to watch Impact. So maybe if they're on a bigger network, this would have more, you know, more. But, but then impact, Twitch, right? you also had a much bigger drop on Twitch. Sure, yeah, percentage-wise, and so I also think AEW fans who are used to AEW, where you have a lot of big stars and it's a lively atmosphere, watching Impact where there's no fans, where it's back to you know where WWE and AEW were in late March, early April, it makes it harder to watch. I yeah. don't think you're going to get new fans who are used to a more lively atmosphere for wrestling. And that's a show that absolutely needs fans, especially with people coming in to watch it for the first time. You kind of need an indication, okay, who are the really the biggest stars here? Who seems to be connecting or whatnot? Uh, because most people on Impact, God bless them, they're very talented. They're just not a lot of very big names in wrestling who wrestle for Impact. So for that to be wrestling in an empty arena is just death in terms of national television wrestling. Right. Yeah. As far as large scale getting new fans, it's tough to do. And so, so yeah, it was... Uh, it was it was a big drop, and um, yeah, we'll see. You know, people are pointing out that well, the number is still better than what they've 
than a lot of their recent numbers. And that is true. But this is just week one after their most hyped episode ever. And I mean, we saw when SmackDown did 4 million viewers on their debut on Fox, it takes about three to four weeks to settle to where you really are. And this is settling quick to, to where they are. Yeah, I mean, you even saw this past week, AEW did a good job of, I mean, they went from having a show that was really promoted and got a lot of viewers, and the next show did the most viewers of 2020. So they actually did an effective job at giving people reasons to come back and watch Sting and whatnot, and uh, Impact just did the opposite. Yeah. So anyway, uh, a lot of interesting stuff with those numbers. Uh, You know, obviously with ratings, it's more of the trend and keeping track of longer terms, but these... These one-week shockwaves, anytime a new low is scored, scored, it's never a good thing. So WWE needs to, they need to do something. Yeah. All right, Alfred. Well, it, that was fun, man. Yeah, through, good time, man. Went through a lot. Good tag team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was a good time. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Uh, just add, this is nasty. Um, watch uh, my articles on Forbes. I'm going to have an interview with Darby Allen that I'm very excited about. Uh, and then follow my YouTube channel, Pro Wrestling Bits. Absolutely. And as always, keep checking out WrestlingInc.com, all the latest wrestling news, as as noted, exclusive interviews. And like we said, we had uh, Raquel Gonzalez today. Uh, we have new interviews every day, uh, a bunch of cool ones coming up. We had Mike Bennett earlier this week. Uh, so keep checking out WrestlingInc.com. And thank you again. And we will be back on Friday after SmackDown. Uh, it will be Matt Morgan and Glenn Rubenstein. And then back again on Sunday after TLC. Until next time, thank you for joining the Wrestling Inc. Podcast. Take care. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.